You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. We've seen an overall shift over the last few years from a focus on widespread consumer-focused attacks to much more targeted business or organizational-focused attacks. That's Alan Liska. He's a senior analyst at Recorded Future and co-author of the book Ransomware. The research we're discussing today is titled Five Ransomware Trends to Watch in 2020. With that, we've also seen a huge increase in ransom demands from, you know, a few hundred dollars to a hundred thousand, a million dollars, et cetera. So we're seeing a lot of six and seven figure ransom demands now. So that's kind of where we see the biggest trend. And then you add to that, that the ransomware actors, the more advanced ones are figuring out other ways to monetize their attacks. So that's where we start to see more of these extortion attacks where if you don't pay the ransom, 
then they're going to uh, publish the files they've stolen from your network, you know, and keep them up on a web page somewhere until you pay that extortion fee. Mm. It's it's interesting to me that, you know, I want to say a year ago or so, maybe a little longer than that, we thought we were going to see a shift to crypto mining and that ransomware was going to die down. That didn't play out. No. So in 2017, we saw a huge dip in ransomware attacks. And then there's an acceleration of crypto mining attacks. And that continued to your timeline uh through a good part of 2018, it turns out it's really hard to make money crypto mining unless you're (laughs) able to command literally hundreds of thousands and maybe even millions of devices to do the mining for you. It's actually really hard to make any kind of substantial money from crypto mining, even as Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies were rising it was just that much more difficult to actually uh, do the calculations at scale. What other trends are you tracking here when it comes to ransomware? So we're seeing a big rise in ransomware as a service, which is really interesting because some of the top ransomware actors, so the the teams behind uh, Revel, also known as Sotobinky, um, and Nemty, um, Megacortex, all rely on a ransomware as a service model. And of course, famously, before they were shut down, Gandcrab relied on that that model as well. What that does is it becomes a force multiplier for the threat actor. Instead of having to worry about a dozen threat actors, we now have to worry about hundreds of threat actors. Still only dozens of ransomware that that are really a threat, but there are a lot more people behind them using a lot of different methods of activity, which means that it's harder to pinpoint where the entry point for the ransomware will be. So if you take uh, Revel, for example, primarily what we used to see is they would be delivered through phishing emails, and we still see a lot of that, but some of the, some of the, the people that use their ransomware as a service will also gain access through a managed service provider. And then they'll jump from that managed service provider to target customers. We saw that in Texas, for example, last year with the 22 uh, towns and cities that were infected from a managed service provider. We've also seen some of the Revel affiliates who are going after um, Citrix vulnerabilities or remote desktop protocol, etc., which means that, that, again, that attack surface grows because there are so many different threat actors that are using that same ransomware. Given where we stand today with ransomware, what are your recommendations for organizations to set up shop to be protected against it? In in, in this environment, as things have evolved, how do you think folks should go about that? Well, one of the things that you need to worry about, um, yeah, we've always advocated for good backups, right? Good mm-hmm, backups mm-hmm. and checking those backups and making sure that you have offline access to your backups, that they're not directly connected to the networks because we know attackers, ransomware actors like to go after those backups. But the other thing that you now have to worry about is you have to identify the attack as soon as possible. So before, 
what you'd have is you'd have when I say before, I'm talking all the way back in 2016, 17, you know, the ancient times. Um, <laughs> you'd have the ransomware actor who would gain access to a box and then they'd infect that box and then the attack would be over. With the more advanced ransomware actors that, that we're seeing a lot of activity from now, they're sitting in the network for a couple of weeks. They're learning the network, they're understanding it, and they're deploying the ransomware after they've studied the network, which means that early detection is much more important because in addition to studying and learning the network, they're also stealing a bunch of data. So if you wait until the first system is encrypted to stop the ransomware attack, even if you effectively stop that, gigabytes, hundreds of gigabytes, if not terabytes of your data have already been stolen. And you're going to get an email from that actor in a few days saying, hey, you haven't paid the ransom. Just want you to know I've thrown your files up on this website, uh, you know, and I'm going to release them to everybody if you don't give me that extortion fee, which is actually an interesting trend that we're seeing. That was one that I hadn't expected where lawyers are now getting involved in the process. Hmm. So the problem is if you're going to throw a company's data up on a website, you can't necessarily do it on like an underground forum or a dark web where nobody can see it. You have to throw it up on a public website. Mm -hmm. Well, the moment you do that, you're now, you know, in sort of the realm that companies are used to operating where the ransomware actors aren't used to operating in that realm. So we saw this with the Maze ransomware, where they were one of the first to lead the extortion campaigns. They put all of the customer data up on a website hosted in Ireland, which obviously all of that ran afoul of GDPR. The website provider got sued by a company in Georgia whose data was exposed and not only did the website get taken down, but the whole hosting company got shut down. So this is going to be an area where, where we may see more lawyers involved in this type of activity as the courts get smarter about this. A, another example in the UK where um, a company paid a ransom and the court stepped in and demanded that the exchange actually returned the ransom money. They said, the court said it was illegal activity and the Bitcoin exchange had to actually give back some of the Bitcoin that hadn't already been taken off and laundered in other places. Which again, this is a surprise to me, is we will see more court activity as, uh, you know, as the money gets, uh, you know, as the ransom demands get higher, as the extortion demands get higher, and, and these operators, the, these ransomware operators, act with more impunity, they're going to come up against, you know, not just law enforcement, but legal uh, enforcement. Now, in terms of the ransomers getting a hold of my data, as you described, they're, they're in my network and they're exfiltrating that data that they're then going to put on a public server somewhere. Is a possible solution to that for me or a prevention for that, that I encrypt that data on my systems so that they can't get access to it, even though they're in my network? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I highly recommend it that, that any data sitting on a, uh, sitting on a desktop or a server be encrypted wherever possible. Now, where that may be a problem is 
if the, the if the attacker has the credentials to that machine, then they may be able to unencrypt that. So it depends on how the encryption process works. But wherever possible, if you can encrypt that data while it's at rest, it makes it that much harder for the attackers to expose that that. That's Alan Liska from Recorded Future. The research we discussed was titled Five Ransomware Trends to Watch in 2020. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.